Well, to all our guests and visitors, um, I just want to say welcome again. Um, and we're going to look at the text today comes from page four. And uh, if you notice, in many ways, it sort of dovetails with what we spoke about last week. Um, and I'll read to you the gospel text comes from Matthew chapter 15, starting in verse one. Then Pharisees and scribes came to Jesus from Jerusalem and said, Why do your disciples break the tradition of the elders? For they do not wash their hands when they eat. Jesus answered them, And why do you break the commandment of God for the sake of your tradition? For God commanded, Honor your father and mother, and whoever reviles father or mother must surely die. But you say, If anyone tells his father or his mother, What you would have gained from me is given to God. He need not honor his father. So for the sake of your tradition, you have made void the word of God. You hypocrites. Well, did Isaiah prophesy of you when he said, This people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. In vain do they worship me, teaching his doctrines the commandments of men. And Jesus called the people to him and said to them, Hear and understand. It is not what goes into the mouth that defiles a person, but what comes out of the mouth, this defiles a person. Then the disciples came and said to Jesus, Do you know that the Pharisees were offended when they heard this saying? He answered, Every plant that my heavenly Father has not planted will be rooted up. Let them alone. They are blind guides. And if the blind lead the blind, both will fall into a pit. But Peter said to Jesus, Explain the parable to us. And Jesus said, are you still, are you also still without understanding? Do you not see that whatever goes into the mouth passes into the stomach and is expelled? But what comes out of the mouth proceeds from the heart, and this defiles a person. For out of the heart come evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false witness, slander. These are what defile a person. But to eat with unwashed hands does not defile anyone. This is the word of God. So when we read this story, doesn't it seem like an obscure religious debate about hand washing, right? It seems irrelevant to us, right? What does this have to do with us? And the answer is everything. You see, the Pharisees who were the Jewish religious leaders... They weren't these fringe wingnuts, right? But what they did is they reflected the universal human problem of uncleanness. We all feel unclean. We all feel unclean, and we're all trying to do something about it. We are all, in effect, washing our hands. We're washing our hands, but it doesn't work. It doesn't make us clean. And Jesus is showing us a new and living way to become clean. And so that's my basic outline, okay? First, we're going to look at the problem of uncleanness. And then second, we're going to look at the false solution that the Pharisees provide and then why it won't work. And then finally, we're going to look at the true solution, right, that Jesus makes us clean. All right, so point number one, the problem of uncleanness. The Pharisees were obsessed with washing hands. Why? Well, it goes back to the Old Testament. If you look at the Old Testament, there are very specific instructions given to the priests that they are to wash their hands whenever they are doing their duties in the temple, right? Before the presence of God. 
Now, here's the deeper question. Why? Why did the priests have to wash their hands? I mean, what does hygiene have to do with worshiping God? Why is hygiene important in the presence of God? And here's the answer. God is giving us a picture that everything that is unclean, and here we're not just talking about you know, dirt and mud, but actually we're primarily talking about you know, bodily excretions. Okay? So we're talking about things like feces, urine, snot, sweat, vomit, that kind of stuff. right? So all those unclean things okay, is a metaphor for sin. Okay? And so here's how the metaphor works. And I'm sorry I have to get a little bit graphic, um, but... My excuse is the Bible is being graphic, okay? So it's very important, right? Imagine you're at the gas station and you have to use the restroom, right? Oh, very unpleasant. But you brave, you, you buck up your courage and you ask for the bathroom key. You go to the restroom, you open the door, and what do you see? You see this huge, smoldering, disgusting pile of poo and pee and vomit. What do you do? You immediately close the door, right? You run in the other direction. You don't touch it, and you certainly don't put it in your mouth, right? Why? (laughs) It's a very important point, because why don't you put it in your mouth? Because it's disgusting. Did you know that that's where we, in fact, get the word disgust? The word gust means stomach. And disgusting is something that you would never, never, never put into your mouth. You would never let your tongue taste it, right? So the clean laws then in the Old Testament, all right, is basically articulating this idea of what is disgusting. And it's not just a Jewish thing, it's not just an ancient thing, but this is a universal human experience. We all know what disgust is. Uh, several years ago, when I, uh, before I became a pastor, I used to work in a hospital in Boston. And I didn't work with patients, I didn't work with the doctors, um, but I worked sort of on the computer support side, right? So I had this, you know, cubicle. You know, do you know what I'm talking about, right? With those little cubicle walls. And on occasion, I would get bored, right? And so what I would do is I would take out my nail clippers and I would trim my nails. Um, and what happened is one day, my supervisor called me into his office. And he said, Michael, some of your neighbors, your coworkers have been complaining that you are clipping your toenails, And they find it gross, and they would like you to stop. And I just want to set the record straight right now. I did not clip my toenails, okay? But here's the thing, right? Isn't it so fascinating that when my neighbors heard, you know, the clip, clip, clip noise, they immediately, their mind went to the worst imagination possible that I had my bare foot up on my desk clipping away, right? You see, we all know what disgust is. We all know. I don't have to explain it to you. And so what's the point? The Bible is giving us a connection between hygiene and morality, between what we find to be disgusting and what we find to be immoral. I don't have to explain this to you. We all know this intuitively, right? What do we call immoral people? What do we call immoral acts? What do we say? We say that it is disgusting, right? We say, oh, that dirty man or that dirty movie. What are we talking about? Immorality. And when we say that someone is living a moral life, what do we say? Oh, that's clean living. And so here's the point. When God says, when you come to my presence, you have to wash up, what he's telling us is, is that sin is disgusting. Sin is repulsive. And this washing of the hands is a symbolism then that we can't just go before God as we are, 
covered with our filthy, disgusting sins that were unacceptable before God. And so this feeling of uncleanness then is really this feeling of inadequacy and unworthiness that we feel before God. Now, some of you are saying, oh, that, you know, that was then. But we modern people, we're beyond that. We're too sophisticated. Are we? Why is it that so many of you overwork? That you push yourself to the extreme, to the detriment of your family and friends, to the detriment of your emotional and spiritual health? You know, why is it that we're so dreadfully afraid of failure? Because we've told ourselves that if only we can advance and achieve in school or in work, then we'll finally be somebody. We'll finally get rid of this awful feeling of inadequacy. Why is it that so many of us are obsessed with beauty, with looking good, you know, having the right clothes, the right image? Because we've told ourselves that people find us attractive. Then we will experience true beauty. Then we will feel worthy and worthwhile. You see, deep down inside, we're just like the Pharisees. We're trying to make ourselves unclean. We're trying to make ourselves feel clean. But nevertheless, there's this vague yet real sense out there of inadequacy and unworthiness. And God may not be an equation, right? We, we may have you know, pushed God to the side, but nevertheless, there it is. We have this sense that we don't measure up. Several years ago, uh, Madonna gave an interview to Vanity Fair magazine. And the interviewer was asking Madonna, you know, you know, you're such a superstar, right? You're, you're, you're this amazing artist, singer, songwriter, producer. You know, you give these amazing concert tours. Um, you've done movies. You're an actress. You know, and this is not just a flash in a moment, right? You do this year after year, decade after decade. You're on top of the charts. How do you do it? Where do you get the drive? You know, where do you find this energy? And Madonna gave the most startling answer most startling, honest answer. You know, it's almost rare to find this. And when I read you her answer, I'm almost certain that you're going to say, no way, you made this up. And so I challenge you, Google it, okay? You can type in Madonna interview Vanity Fair. She gave this in April 1991. And so this was her answer, okay? She said, all of my will has always been to conquer some horrible feeling of inadequacy. I'm always struggling with that fear. I push past one spell of it and discover myself as a special human being. And then I get to another stage and I think I'm mediocre and uninteresting. And I find a way to get myself out of that again and again. My drive in life is from this horrible feel, fear of being mediocre. And that's what's always pushing me, pushing me. Because even though I've become somebody, I still have to prove that I am somebody. My struggle has never ended, and it probably never will. Isn't that an amazing quote? Madonna is saying what is driving her is this horrible feeling of inadequacy. And I know that she's sort of trying to spin it in a positive way, right? Like all this creativity and innovation comes from it, but it is a depressing quote. You know why? Because Madonna, with all of her talent and acclaim and fame, if even at the end of the day she feels inadequate... What hope is there for us mere mortals, right? And so that's the universal human problem of uncleanness. We all know deep down inside that we are not fit for the presence of God, that we are inadequate. So that's point number one. Point number two is the false solution. So the Pharisees said, here's the solution. 
if we only just observe the clean laws in the Old Testament, we will be clean. If we only just wash our hands, in other words, if only we just stay away from dirt, don't touch poo and pee, then you'll be clean, right? And what the Pharisees were saying is that the problem is on the outside, not on the inside, right? The problem is not the heart, that you have an unclean heart. The problem is dirt. And what the Pharisees have done then is that they fundamentally redefined sin. Sin is on the outside. Sin is the environment. It's the polluting, you know, situations. It's merely the behavior. It has nothing to do with the heart. And therefore, you can avoid sin if you just merely avoid the environment. Let me give you an illustration. And um, here I have to be very careful uh, because it's kind of a sensitive topic. And I am by no means saying that this is true of all Christian parents, all right? So let me just say that at the onset. Some Christian parents, all right? Some Christian parents, why do they send their children to Christian schools? Because they say, oh, those public schools, right? Full of gangsters and criminals and evil, sinful people, right? And if we only send our child to Christian school, surround them with Christian friends, good people, then we can keep him from sin. We can keep him from becoming a sinner, right? And I'm not saying, you know, that the environment is unimportant, right? The environment is very, very important. But does the environment make you a sinner? Does the environment create sin in you? The Pharisees said yes, right? What they've done is they they said the problem, the problem of sin is on the outside, and they were trying to deal with this problem of inadequacy and of unworthiness merely by addressing the surface. Now, we modern people do the exact same thing. We're trying to address it merely on the surface. When I was in junior high, believe it or not, I was not cool. <laughs> um, I, was, uh, I was pretty socially awkward. And uh, I remember looking around and trying to figure out the puzzle. I said, you know, why, you know, what makes cool people cool? And one day it dawned on me. Cool clothes make cool people cool. Right? All the cool people have cool clothes. So I went home and I begged my mom, Mom, please, I need cool clothes. Please buy me cool clothes. And, um, you know, my family wasn't very wealthy at the time. And so my mom said, well, you know, I, I can't, we can't really afford to buy you much. I said, that's okay. I just need at least one. And so I remember so vividly, we went to Miller's Outpost. And then we, because <laughs> that was cool back then. And then we, we went and we got this shirt. And I, and I so vividly remember that shirt. It was this button-down shirt. It had this cool, like, tear-shaped design. And I was just so proud. And I went to school the next day. I was so confident. I felt so cool. But here's the problem. I had only one cool shirt. And so I sort of worked it into the rotation a little bit too frequently. And basically, I wore it every other day. And uh, one day, this uh, kid, right, I was sitting in class, and he looks at me. And he says, hey didn't you wear that same shirt the other day? And then he turns to the class, and to my absolute horror, he says, he announces in a loud voice, hey, this guy wears the same shirt every day. What a loser, right? And I was so sad because this, this punk, right, had just ruined my cool shirt, right? I can't possibly wear it ever again. And so I went home, and I threw it away. But here's the thing, right? Aren't we the same? That we think that we can sort of solve this deep problem of, of, of inadequacy and unworthiness. All we need is something on the surface. But we know it doesn't penetrate deep down inside. And therefore, we have this anxiety, do we not? We 
are dreadfully afraid that one day we'll be exposed for the frauds that we are. All right. So that was the first step. The Pharisees said, the problem of sin, the problem of uncleanness is merely on the outside. But that wasn't enough. They said, not only do we not just touch unclean things, but we need to do something positive. And so what the Pharisees said is, what we need to do is we need to follow and observe the law of God. And the way they did this is they said, we need to make the law of God manageable. And so what they did was they added on extra rules and extra regulations that are not found in the Bible. And that's what verse 2 is talking about when it says the tradition of the elders. It's these extra rules and regulations. So what did they do? Well, if you look at um, what they did with washing of the hands, right? Let's go back to the Bible, right? What does the Bible say about the washing of hands? The Bible says the priests are to wash their hands when they are performing their duties in the temple. But the Pharisees said, ah, why don't we expand that? And now everyone, not just the priests, and at all times, not just in the temple, have to wash their hands. Now on the surface, it seems like they made the law more difficult to keep, right? Harder to keep, more rules. But actually what they've done is they've made the law more manageable, easier to keep. Okay, let me give you an example. The law says, love your neighbor as yourself right? Which means, you know, address the needs of your neighbor um, and his interests with as much passion and creativity and energy as you would your own needs, right? That's what it means. Love your neighbor. But the Pharisees said, that's too broad. That's too all-encompassing. How can anyone possibly do that? And so what they said is, let's add extra rules. So, and this is not what I'm saying they actually did, but I'm giving you sort of an example. Okay, so they said, Here's how you love your neighbor. Don't step on his lawn. Don't uh, key his car. Don't uh, spit on his face. Uh, At least once a year, invite him over for dinner. And see, what they did then is, by adding on all these extra rules and regulations, what they did was they made the, the, the law, love your neighbor, easier to keep, more manageable keep, more manageable to keep. And what they were doing then is they were saying, obey the law only on the outside. They were only focusing on the behavior. And that's what religion is. All of this busyness and activity, what are religious people doing? The same thing secular modern people are doing. They're trying to make themselves clean. And they're trying to compensate for this feeling of inadequacy and unworthiness. So that's the Pharisee solution. And then they turn to Jesus and say, what about you? Why don't you do the same? Now Jesus' answer is actually pretty um, wide-ranging and uh, we can't possibly sort of like, you know, dissect and look at all of it and all of its richness. You know, maybe if we had two or three sermons, we could do it. And so basically what I'm saying is I'm going to skip over verses 3 to 6, and I'm going to cut to the chase, okay? So if you look at verse 7, what does Jesus say? He says, you Pharisees are only focusing on the outside. And that makes you hypocrites because you're fake on the inside. And then he says in verse 7, this people honors me with their lips, but their hearts is far from me, right? He says, all you're doing is focusing on the outside. All you're doing is focusing on the behavior. But what about the inside? The inside is what counts. Let me give an example. Imagine this married couple. And um, the thing you need to know is that the husband doesn't love his wife very, very much, right? He, um, he, he's kind of callous to her. He's, he's not very sensitive. He doesn't spend very much time. And Valentine's Day comes around. And what are you supposed to do on Valentine's Day, right? You're supposed to buy flowers, buy chocolate. And so the husband says, he gets those things, and he he brings it home, and he says, here you go. 
And the wife says, all these things are very nice, but I want your heart. I want you to love me. I want you to care for me. And the husband says, what's your problem? Didn't I obey all the rules? Didn't I give you flowers and chocolate? What's your complaint? And the wife will respond, the flowers and the chocolate, yes, on the surface they honor me, but your heart is far from me. Do you see? And then Jesus moves on to the, and this is the heart of his argument, okay? Verse 11. This is what he says. It is not what goes into the mouth that defiles a person. Defile simply means to make unclean. It is not what goes into the mouth that defiles a person, but what comes out of the mouth. What is Jesus saying? Simple, but revolutionary. He's saying, it's not what's on the outside that makes you clean, unclean, but it's, it's what's on the inside, right? It's not the outside, but what's on the inside that makes you unclean. And the disciples look at Jesus and they're like, huh? They don't get it, right? And you know, they have been with Jesus for years. They've been hearing him preach day after day and they still don't understand. And this sort of shows you, right, that what Jesus is saying, even though it's so simple, it's so counter to what we naturally believe. And so Peter, in verse 15, says to Jesus, can you explain, and notice he calls it a parable, right, because it's so mysterious. Can you explain this parable to us? And so Jesus says, okay, Listen up. Verse 17. He says, Do you not see that whatever goes into the mouth passes into the stomach and is expelled? He's basically saying, Don't you see? Unclean food, even if you have a little bird turd on the food, right? It doesn't do anything to you. All it does is passes through your body. You know, you pop it in your mouth and it ends up in the toilet, right? He's actually being kind of funny here, right? But he says, here's what will make you truly, really unclean. Here's what will really defile you. Look at verse 18. He says, but what comes out of the mouth proceeds from the heart. And this defiles a person. For out of the heart come evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false witness, and slander. It's your heart that makes you unclean. And here, what Jesus means by the heart is not sort of the way we modern people think of the heart, right? In the modern, in the modern sense, we think of the heart only in terms of the emotions, right? We sort of say, you know, the heart versus the mind. Uh, but that's not the way Jesus uses the word heart. That's not the way the Bible uses heart. Heart here includes emotions, but it also includes your thoughts, your desires, your motivations, right? Everything that's inside of you, okay? So Jesus is saying, all the evil, unclean things that you do, It comes, it arises from your heart. It's your heart that's evil. It's not your circumstances. It's not your environment. Because think about this, okay? Did not Jesus, was he not tempted for three days in the wilderness? And he did not sin. So it's not the environment. But look, listen, I'm not saying that, you know, it's okay to hang out with criminals, right? If you hang out with a criminal, you'll probably end up a criminal. But listen, when you do your little criminal deeds... It's not because of your criminal friend. It's because of your criminal heart. All your criminal friends did was provide you the opportunity. All they did was sort of teach you the techniques, right? Okay, let me give an example. Let's say that you have a group of friends. And uh, your little group of friends, they shoplift all the time. You know, they're stealing clothes from retailers. And after a while, you hang out with them, you start to shoplift as well. Why? Is it because of your little shoplifting friends? Ultimately, no. 
It's because in your heart, you said, I would rather have these great-looking clothes than to love God and to trust God. I would rather have these clothes than to obey the law. And all your little shoplifting friends did was provide you the opportunity. All they did was teach you the techniques. All they did was say stuff like, you know, put the clothes in your purse like this, right? It's so simple, right? It makes sense what Jesus is saying, but it's devastating. It's devastating. You know why? Because if the problem is our unclean hearts, how do you clean that? How can you possibly clean the heart? You see, Jesus says to the Pharisees, all you're doing is attacking the problem from the outside, but, but that just makes you hypocrites. All that does is make you hypocrites, and you're just trying to obey the law on the outside. And here is the amazing, penetrating insight of Christianity. And, you know, I sort of, touched, I sort of said the same thing last week, but it's so radical, you know. There's nothing else out there in the world that says anything remotely close to this, okay? Christianity tells us that you can express your sinful heart not only by breaking the rules, but also by keeping the rules, by, by keeping the law. Let me give you an example. Let's say there are two students, okay? One student cheats. And the reason he cheats is out of fear and pride. He's afraid of looking stupid. He's prideful of, you know, that he wants to look smart. He wants to let people know, hey, I can get an A. And so he cheats. The other student doesn't cheat studies really hard, plays by the rules, you know, goes to study group, works really hard. Why? Because he wants to honor and worship God? No. Because he wants to glorify God? No. He studies hard. He doesn't cheat because out of fear and pride. Same thing as the cheater. And so Jesus says, what's the difference? They may look different. They may do different things. But in the end, there is no difference. Because whether you cheat or whether you don't cheat, It arises from the same heart, out of the same evil, unclean heart. And then therefore Jesus says, you're both unclean. You see, what Jesus is telling us is that there is nothing you can do to make yourself clean. Do you hear that? There's nothing you can do to make yourself clean because the problem is our hearts, our unclean hearts. And if the problem is the heart, how do you clean the heart? How do you clean the heart? You can't. Do you see that? It's like, the, um, it's like my cool shirt story. You can have the largest wardrobe on earth, but at the end of the day, you'll just be like Madonna, and that, that, that sinking, aching feeling of inadequacy and unworthiness will remain. And so that's the, um, that's the second point, the false solution. The third point is what is the true solution? You know, what will truly clean our hearts? And the Bible tells us the gospel. And I want to put up on the screen for you, we're going to look at the gospel um, in Hebrews chapter 10. And if you know something about Hebrews, um, Hebrews, the writer of Hebrews is sort of looking at this issue of clean laws, you know, and uh, looking at the Old Testament in terms of what the priests are doing. And it's sort of the culmination is chapter 10, verse 19. Um, And so I'm going to read to you starting from verse 19. There we go. Okay, that's fine. Um, so you can sort of like see it, but let me, <laughs> let me read it to you. 
the writer says, Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence... Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, that is, through the flesh, and since we have a great high priest over the house of God, listen carefully now, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Now, there's an enormous amount there, okay? And, and we can't possibly unpack it all. And, but let me, but do you notice, right, that this whole issue of the gospel is articulated in terms of what is clean and what is unclean, right? And I want to direct your attention to the end, to verse 22. The writer says, let us draw near, right? Who is he talking about? He's talking about us. He says, let us Christians draw near. Who are we drawing near to? To God. But how can that be? Did we not just say that we're unclean? That our sins make us so that we're filled, we're covered with excrement. How can God allow us to come come close to Him? And it says in the passage, if you if you read on, it says, "With our hearts sprinkled clean." You see, our hearts are clean. How did that happen? Well, let's go back to the beginning, to verse 19. In verse 19, it says, "Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places." What is the writer talking about? What are the holy places? You see, the temple had three sections, three layers, right? And the outermost layer was the outer court. Only Jews, only true Israelites can enter there. And then the second layer was the holy place in the temple proper. And only the priest could enter into the holy place. And then the innermost layer, the, 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 the third layer, is the holy of holies. And you know there's a curtain that separated the holy place from the holy of holies. And and do you know what was sort of printed on the curtain? Do you know what image was sort of embossed on the curtain? It were images of angels. Do you know why? Because you see the angels were guarding the throne room of God. They were guarding the very presence of God. And that's what the holy of holies is. And only one person could enter the holy of holies. The high priest. And only one time in the year, the Day of Atonement. You can read about it in Leviticus 16. He had to go through these elaborate cleansings and preparations. He would have to meditate and read and pray and just go through these intense washings. And then on that day, he could enter the Holy of Holies. But Hebrews tells us we have confidence to enter the holy places. We Christians, how can that possibly be? And let's read on, right? The writer tells us, let us enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus. That's the answer. You see, what our sins do is, we can take it down now. What our sins do is it separates us from the presence of God, right? That our sins are like excrement. It's like vomit and all these kinds of disgusting things that are on us. And God looks at us and he is repulsed. He is disgusted. And who can, and, and, and how are we going to deal with our sins? You know, the Bible says the penalty of our sins is death, is hell. It's a price we cannot pay. And therefore, we need a substitute. And therefore, we need someone to step in our place. And that is what Jesus Christ did. Jesus Christ lived the perfect life. And here I'm talking about he lived a life of perfect love and obedience to the Father. And then he was crucified on the cross. And when he was killed, all the filth and the disgustingness of our sins was placed on him. Right? It's like 
I want you to imagine all the, just the excrement and the urine of our sins was smeared on Jesus. And the father looked at his son and he turned his face away. He was disgusted. That's why Jesus on the cross said what? My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And here's the gospel. It's a great exchange, you see. Our sins and our filth was placed on Jesus and in his righteousness, his perfect moral record is placed on us. So that when the Father looks at us, he doesn't see our filth anymore, but he sees us as an absolute delight. He sees us as an absolute beauty, pure white. There's this image in the, in the book of Revelation that when we're gathered before the throne room of God, we're not covered in poo and pee anymore, but we're clothed in pure white linen. Right? That's the gospel. You know, all religions, um, all religions have washings. Did you know that? Ritual washings. Um, I remember I went to India and I, w- I would watch the Hindus go to the river Ganges and they would wash themselves. You know, Judaism has washings. Islam has washings. All religions have washings. But in all of those religions, the washings are continual. You can never stop. You know why? Because you continually become unclean. And therefore, you have to continually wash yourself year after year, day after day. It never ends. Only in one religion do you wash yourself once. And the writer of Hebrews says that. At the very end, he says, and our bodies washed with pure water. What is he talking about? He's talking about our baptism. You see, we only wash once. Because in our baptism, it points back to what Jesus Christ has done for us. That he's washed us. That we're finally clean. Do you see that? It's done. It's completed. And we're now clean before him. And now here's the application. Now here's, here's how, where you know, the rubber meets the road. Here's where it's practical, okay? To the extent that you believe this, to the extent that you rest and trust in this, it will heal your hearts. No longer will you be chasing after achievement and beauty, right? Because you're, you're, you're looking for that sense of approval, of that, getting rid of that sense of inadequacy. Why? Because the only judgment that counts, God's judgment he looks at us and he's delighted. He approves of us. He is, is pleased with us. Why? Because of what Jesus Christ has done. That is the gospel. And that will absolutely radically transform you. So you have this incredible peace in your heart. So you have this incredible calmness about you. Do you believe that? Do you trust in that? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we confess to you that our sins make us unclean. That it's like we're a homeless man covered with excrement and urine in the subway. We're disgusting. But yet, we know that because of what Jesus Christ did as our substitute, we are washed clean. We're made pure. And oh Lord, may that just sing in our hearts. May we rejoice in that And may that create in us an incredible calmness and incredible peace. We pray all this in Christ's name. Amen.